Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's happening, Felony Friday fans? This is John Odermatt here, and before we start the show today, I wanted to take just a minute to let you know of a way that you can support the show and help spread the message of liberty. You can do this by visiting igniteliberty.us and ordering a Make Liberty Great Again hat. By now, I'm sure you're all aware of Donald Trump's campaign, Make America Great Again. You've seen the hats, you've seen the bumper stickers, you've seen it everywhere. Well, you can't make America great again without first making liberty great again. Liberty is essential to prosperity. And unfortunately, right now, at this point in time, the majority of Americans favor policies that would infringe upon our individual liberties. And this absolutely has to change. And there is no better way to start a conversation, no better way to get that in than by having a stylish hat, right? I mean, somebody sees it, sees you wearing it into a bar at the grocery store, and they say, oh, make Liberty great again. That's an end for a conversation right there. So please, consider visiting IgniteLiberty.us. Purchase a Make Liberty Great Again snapback hat. We have two different designs. They are both very stylish and bold, and they are sure to catch attention. Now, there is an exclusive deal for Alliance of Liberty podcast listeners. Just enter code LIBERTY at checkout for 10% off your order. And the profits from that order will go right back into this podcast. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Alliance of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back once again to your favorite weekly show, Felony Friday, right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. It is so great to have you back here again. We're going to be talking today about the DEA's announcement to ban the chemicals contained in Kratom. Now, Kratom is a popular herbal supplement. I'm sure you've heard about it in the news recently. The DEA is going to be banning the substance starting the end of September till the end of this month. Kratom is used as a way to self-treat chronic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, and a number of other conditions. And today I have a special guest coming on the show to discuss how Kratom, how this supplement helped him deal with a congenitive defect that he was born with that caused him to have significant back pain all the time. And the drug Kratom has helped him to deal with that pain. We'll be talking with Jack Linton, a friend of the Lions of Liberty. And today's show is the 38th episode of Felony Friday. So you can find the show notes for today's show at lionsofliberty.com slash FF38. And I will link to any articles or things that we cite throughout the show. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Jack Linton. Now, I've known Jack for about 15 years. God, that sounds like a long time. But Jack and I went to college together. We were in the, the same fraternity along with Brian and Mark and, and Howie Snowden and the elusive Rico, who no one knows his real name. We were all in the same fraternity at Penn State. So 
I've known Jack since back then. And recently, you know, Jack's been a member of our Lions of Liberty forum on Facebook. And recently he brought up an article about a drug. I guess it's technically a drug that uh, the DEA is talking about rescheduling, or I think they're actually going to at least temporarily reschedule it, called Kratom. And Kratom is a plant from Southeast Asia, and we'll get more into talking about what it is and the controversy surrounding it. But let me bring Jack on. Jack, welcome to Felony Friday. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on the show. It's good to have you here. Thanks for agreeing to come on, Jack. And I know you're a busy guy. We were just talking in the in the pre-show chat there about a a business that you have, and I think it's a you know I'm as, as you know if you listen to some Felony Fridays, I've had on um, other entrepreneurs uh, talking about. You know, a lot of them have had past legal trouble. You haven't had that, but they've overcome that and they've succeeded in entrepreneurship. So I'm interested in in entrepreneurial ventures. And you have one where you have a gourmet mushroom business that you started. So I just want to kind of talk about that and uh, just ask you, why mushrooms? How did you start down that path? Well, I guess uh, mushrooms have been something that I've always been interested in. And uh, ever since I graduated from college, uh, I've been working as a farmer, doing various uh, things. Mostly, my degree was in horticulture, so I did a lot of plant growing. I also worked with animals, but uh, you know, doing farming in urban in- environments has been very uh, trendy lately. It's a very popular idea, and it seemed to me that mushrooms would be the crop that would most easily adapt to an urban environment. And I wanted to start my own business, and so I decided to sort of put my love of farming and my love of mushroom biology and put them together into a, a workable business. So is your setup, is your mushroom farm, I guess you would call it, is it all indoors then? You said it's urban, so it's is it indoor farming or how's that set up? Yeah, it's all indoor. I'm actually in North Philadelphia. I'm inside of a, an old warehouse building that's been repurposed. It was actually originally the Goldenberg's Peanut Chews factory building, I think back in the early 20th century. And now it's being used for a variety of different specialty food businesses, including a couple of chocolate manufacturers and a a, a coffee brewer, a few other things like that. So what's the name of your your business again? The business is called uh, phillygrown.farm, which is coincidentally also the URL of the website. Okay, cool. So definitely check out phillygrown.farm. And uh, I haven't been to the website yet, but I've been meaning to check it out. You have a uh, some sort of unique uh, membership program, right? Something like that, where you can, you know, buy in ahead of time and you can get, you know, scheduled shipments of mushrooms, right? Yeah, it's called a CSA, which basically stands for Community Supported Agriculture, which essentially uh, what farmers do is they go ahead of time and sell sort of uh, shares of their crop for a particular season by uh, having people pay for the crop ahead of time, which allows farmers uh, sort of an alternative funding source when uh, other types of funding aren't available. And it gives them the chance to buy all the materials and things that they need to get through the season, you know, when, say, a bank loan may not be available. Right, because pretty much you're bootstrapping this from the start. So, I mean, you got to have all the money in order to buy everything you need to you know, compost to grow all the mushrooms and everything like that. So I'm sure that's a big cash influx there. So yeah, it's, right now it's my primary source of income. Well, that's cool. Well, definitely check that out. Check out phillygrown.com for Jack. And the reason I brought you on, Jack, as I was saying, 
you had that post in the Lions of Liberty Forum. And for anyone listening that is not a member of the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, you can join very easily just by going to Facebook, punching in the uh, search bar at the top, Lions of Liberty Forum, and uh, we will get you approved as long as you look like a real person and have some liberty-related stuff on your page. That helps. Mutual friends helps. And also the English language, that helps too, so we can see, see what's going on there. But it's not uh, not mandatory. We do have some people in from countries all across the globe. But the reason I brought you on, Jack, is you had a post on there talking about how the DEA is going to reschedule, or I guess schedule, uh, Kratom. And the drug Kratom has had a, a personal impact on you, a positive impact, because you've had some back problems. I guess some chronic back problems that you were born with. So first of all, I guess I was wondering if, if you could talk about maybe some of the pain that you have and the back problems that you do have that this uh, drug is treating. All right. Well, like you said, it's a, a congenital defect in my spine. It didn't really start affecting me until I started uh, going through my adolescent growth spurt. So right around age 12 or 13, I started complaining to my parents a lot about my back hurting. And at first, they didn't think anything of it, but eventually I complained enough that they decided to take me to a doctor who then uh, x-rayed me, took a look at the x-ray and said, I have no idea what this is. And so... (laughs) That's always good when you hear a doctor say that. Right, right. So I ended up getting sent to uh, the DuPont Children's Hospital in Delaware, which is apparently, you know, the place where they send all kids who have things that other doctors have no idea what they are. And uh, it turns out that... uh, it's a defect called um, sagittal cleft, or uh, also known as a butterfly vertebra, which essentially means I have one vertebra bone in my back that didn't quite develop all the way. And in my particular case, the bone is slightly larger on the left side than on the right side. So it basically creates this total imbalance of my spine. So what happens is, you know, It doesn't make me more prone to injury or anything like that, but because my spine is constantly out of balance, the muscles in my spine are always engaged, basically holding me upright. You know, most people, when they stand up straight, all their, the bones in their back align and, you know, they can mostly balance that way without their muscles being too engaged in order to keep them upright. But for me, my muscles are constantly engaged, keeping me upright. So what, like, what type of pain do you get from this then? It's mostly muscle pain. Basically, it, um, do you ever try to, say, hold out a coffee cup straight out in front of your body for an hour or two? I haven't tried that yet. I might. <laughs> Eventually, it would start to hurt <laughs> really bad, and your muscles would burn, and you probably wouldn't be able to hold it up anymore after a certain amount of time. But uh, for me... You know, I can't get any relief from it. So by the end of the day, usually all the muscles in my back are completely on fire. And uh, if I've had a rough day, you know, if it's been a really physical work day for me, even lying down doesn't give me any relief. So, uh, you know, before I found any kind of pain control with Kratom, I basically would come home from work every day and I would lie down in my bed and I pretty much couldn't get up for the rest of the night. Sometimes I would eat dinner and sometimes I wouldn't. But that was pretty much my life. I would get up in the morning, go to work, and I would come home and I would lie down and I would stay there in bed for the rest of the night. So how did you first hear about Kratom? Where did you find out about it? I think I heard about it, you know, since I'm a horticulturist, I've always been interested in ethnobotany. And uh, ethnobotany is essentially the study of how people relate to plants. 
and, you know, relate to plants as far as food and medicine and textiles. And so maybe a few years ago, the Western world sort of became aware of this plant called kratom that uh, I guess a lot of people were using as a mild intoxicant, but it also seemed to have these really miraculous properties of having great pain control. So I figured, what the heck, let me give this a try. And it's really, I mean, it's just a tea when it comes down to it. I think sometimes uh, in the native countries where it's used, they chew on the leaves. But as far as uh, the United States is concerned, it's a tea. And you make this tea and you drink it, and uh, it's mildly stimulating. And it's also somewhat relaxing at the same time. And uh, it uh, is a very good painkiller. So when you do drink this tea, I assume you're drinking it maybe in the morning to get relief throughout the day. And then how many hours of relief would you typically get from this? I'd say anywhere from between six and eight hours. So I'll usually have one cup of tea in the morning and then one cup of tea when I get home from work. And that pretty much does the trick. Do you still notice the pain throughout the day or is it does it dull the pain or what's the effect? For the most part, it gets rid of the pain entirely. Sometimes I'll have a bad day and it'll hurt. But, you know, for the most part, it com- almost completely ameliorates the pain. That's pretty incredible. And you've been using this for about a couple years or several years, right? I think it's maybe been about four years now. I've maybe been a daily user for the last three. Okay. So this news that, as we were talking about, that the DEA is going to schedule Kratom, this will make it unavailable, right? I mean, essentially. You won't even be able to get it through a prescription. Yeah, they're going straight to Schedule 1, which is for things that have... uh that are not only extremely dangerous, but have no accepted medical use. So it'll be in there with heroin, LSD, and crack cocaine. And marijuana, right? And marijuana, marijuana too, yeah. Schedule one, which is ridiculous, but yeah, it's it's ridiculous to put Kratom in in with those as well. We've talked about before the rescheduling of marijuana. If they made it Schedule 2, would that be a better thing? or, Or would that just give more control to pharmaceutical companies, which... Maybe, I, I don't know, it's just really conjecture at this point, but that could be something they're trying to do with Kratom, making it a, a temporary Schedule 1, and then maybe they'll make it a Schedule 2, and pharmaceutical companies could then you know sell it in pill form or something like that. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, at this point, you know, what they're doing is called an emergency schedule. So I guess they've somehow seen the usage of it going up in the re- last couple of years. And so... They have this sort of unchecked power to be able to emergency schedule something, which, you know, they can just decide to do at any time. And it makes it completely illegal for the next two years. And then uh, I think in two years, if Congress decides not to make any moves on it, they can continue that emergency schedule for another year, more or less indefinitely, until Congress decides to make a decision uh, what to do about it. Right. So there's basically no immediate checks and balances. No one can stop the DEA from doing this, right? Congress can't stop them right now. The president really can't stop them. Or I guess that pretty much is the, the executive branch. So I guess you, you would say that I don't know if if the Supreme Court could somehow come into play here. But uh, it seems to me that there's really this is happening. Um, it's It's going to be scheduled and there's really nothing that can be done. But I did kind of want to backtrack for a minute and talk about the plant itself. You did say it's just the leaves of this plant grown 
I guess primarily in Southeast Asia, or is it only in Southeast Asia? Is it grown anywhere else? As far as I know, it's only in Southeast Asia. It's in the coffee family, so it's very much like a coffee tree. Okay. Uh, I think its primary cultivation country is Thailand, mostly just because it grows everywhere there anyway, and Indonesia, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So with uh, Kratom and you talk about, we were talking about opioids, you know, I guess that's what the DEA is saying, that there's similar, you know, Kratom affects people similar to an opioid. Yeah, they're saying it's the next heroin. So are there any similarities really between the two? I mean, Kratom isn't addictive, is it? Yeah, it is addictive. I'm not going to say that it isn't. I would put it on par with caffeine and coffee. You know, if I stopped drinking the tea for a day, I would probably have a little bit of difficulty sleeping for the next day. Okay. But it's not like you would be shaking and trembling or anything like that? No, no, nothing like that. Okay. Is that all the DEA is basing this upon? Is that just the similarities to opium? Yeah, they might have some nefarious means, but that's their, you know, advertised line of defense. Right. Their uh, main points, I guess, is that in the last, uh, what is it, six years, there's been 660 calls to the CDC about supposed overdoses of Kratom, which, when you put in perspective, is an extremely small number. And also that there have been, what do they quote, maybe 15 deaths? But none of those deaths have been confirmed to be specifically from Kratom. There was always uh, at least one other drug involved, usually alcohol or antipsychotics or things like that. Right, and they're not going to be scheduling alcohol anytime soon. And, of course, the pharmaceutical companies are are not going to let anyone touch their psychotropes, psychotropic drugs. Right. So it's really a, an interesting situation because – by scheduling it, you know, obviously they're pushing it onto the black market and, you know, they're saying it's unsafe where when you push it on the black market, all they're doing is making it less safe. So, you know, it's, it's not going to go away. There's still people that are, are going to try to get it, but, you know, you might not be able to get it in the tea form that you've been getting it. You might get it in a, in a pill form mixed with something else or um, it just in- introduces a whole another element to it. And there's less transparency, obviously, with it. So it's it's really a really a crappy situation, and I'm just curious, Jack. Do you have any like what's your plan now? I mean, is is it still available like today? Can you get it or? Yeah, and I guess uh, most uh, people vendors, I guess you would say, who are selling it in the U.S. are basically trying to get rid of their stock as quickly as possible. So I guess you can get it fairly cheaply right now. But you know, I'm sitting here asking myself. You know, I'm a generally law-abiding citizen. I have my own business. I'm thinking about maybe starting a family sometime soon. So, you know, I have a lot to think about. And so, you know, I considered maybe I should buy a whole lot of it and stockpile it. But, you know, eventually I'm going to run out. And then I have to think about the fact that, well, you know, what would happen if I was caught with, say, 10 kilograms of uh, a Schedule One substance? Mm -hmm. You know, is it really worth it? So my other options are to just go back to the way I was before, where I was bedridden after work every day, or to go to my doctor and say, uh, you know, is it time for me to start with pharmaceutical opiates? Yeah, it's just a uh, it's a ridiculous ridiculous situation to even be in. That I mean, it's it's not surprising with, with the way our government is today, but it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're they're now prescribing, or the the FDA is now. Know, making it allowable in some cases for doctors to prescribe opiates to children. Right, right. It's, 
It's it's incredible. I mean, I, I almost saw it coming, and I think most people who were aware of you know what was going on with Kratom and how it was being sold and things like that kind of expected the government to jump on it eventually, but the fact that it's going straight to Schedule 1, it's just kind of blown everyone's minds. The fact that, uh, you know, this thing that we, lots of people are using and therefore has a proven track record of being relatively safe is suddenly going to be, you know, reviled like crack. Uh, it's, it's completely absurd. Yeah, it's completely absurd, especially considering that I think a lot of people would agree that we've made some progress recently in the criminal justice system, especially pertaining to marijuana. You know, obviously several states having uh, decriminalized or legalized uh, just the perception of marijuana. It seems like it's more acceptable. So one would think that a another plant like Kratom the same thing. One would think that it's, it's a plant. And putting aside the you know the libertarian principle of you know you own your body and obviously you should decide what you put in your body. I mean I think we, we can all agree that that should be the case. Right. But you would think that the rest of society that has shifted on marijuana also would agree that a plant like kratom would be uh, you know it's a plant. It's a plant that grows like a weed, much like marijuana. I mean. Even if that were the case, I guess that doesn't matter since it's just the DEA just putting their foot down and just acting on their own. Right. So it's, it's hard to not imagine, uh, you know, some kind of special interest involvement. I got to be honest. It is. It is. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind is uh, crony capitalism or whatever you want to call it, cronyism. Or it's definitely easy to see uh, some nefarious ties here. Uh, lots of people that could profit off this in the near future, pushing people onto opiates, right? Right. And in, in the long term, eventually, if the pharmaceutical companies get control of Kratom, then you know another drug to supply that they can jack the price up on, like we've seen so many times. So, Even when you look at the history of the way that the DEA treats drugs as an epidemic, you know, like you had amphetamine problems in the 70s and the DEA came in and limited the drug company's ability to manufacture amphetamines, and the, the amphetamine problem more or less went away. And then in the 80s, they had a problem with quaaludes, methaquilone, and they severely limited the pharmaceutical company's ability to manufacture that. And that problem went away, and it, it forced the pharmaceutical companies to produce other safer drugs like Valium and uh, you know Xanax, the antipsychotics that we're familiar with today. But then in the 90s, we have the beginning of this uh, opioid epidemic. And for some reason, the DEA has just continually allowed more and more of it to be manufactured every year. And yet the amount of pain patients has stayed the same. And it kind of blows the mind what's going on there. <laughs> it does blow the mind. And then you have you know politicians with a straight face coming out and saying, how are we going to stop this heroin epidemic? All these people are you know, gravitating towards heroin. Well, when you're giving them a uh, legal equivalent in opium, you're giving them opiates, and then you're, you know, maybe you're prescribing it for a couple years or a year or even just a couple months and then taking it away. What the hell do you expect? Right, right. And, you know, as it turns out, you know, there's plenty of, I guess, illegal pharmaceutical pills available out there. But when push comes to shove, heroin turns out to be cheaper. So most people go to that. And it's, you know, 
obviously less pure and often adulterated, which is where a lot of the problems come from. Absolutely. Just out of curiosity, I'm not sure if you know the answer to this. I didn't really didn't really research it, but is Kratom illegal in any other countries that you're aware of? Uh, yeah, ironically, a Kratom is illegal in a lot of the countries where it's produced. Primarily, Thailand is the one that comes to mind when you think about it. It's completely banned in Thailand, despite that being its primary country of manufacture and use. It was banned, I believe, in 1943 because the government perceived that it was cutting into their opium tax profits. People were using it to get off of opium, and uh, the uh, government decided to make it completely illegal with very stiff penalties. But uh, if you look into this, the issue, you'll see maybe in the last decade or so, the government has more or less decided that it is decriminalized, because, I mean, you can obviously see that there's tens of thousands of kilos making it all over the world at this point. So they're obviously manufacturing a lot of it. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they're jailing too many people at this point for using it or producing it. Yeah, it's got to be almost impossible to enforce. I mean, it, it probably it's so easy to grow in that climate. Right. People could just grow their own. Honestly, I don't even think they have to grow it. I think it just grows. <laughs> it just grows <laughs> everywhere anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think it was you that posted, I think it was in the notes to the original article you posted on, or maybe a separate post, talking about actually how a lot of the, the workers, I think the workers were using Kratom, and I don't remember the exact reasoning, but because it made them more relaxed, maybe they didn't work as hard, or that was the perception, so that was one of the reasons that they were banning it in uh I believe it was actually in, in the other way around. They saw it as, uh, at least culturally within the people, and not particularly for the government, Kratom users were considered more desirable than, say, marijuana users because because they were able to work harder and work longer hours. I mean, it's really a sort of a working man's drug for someone who is, say, working in agriculture where they're doing very physical work for very long hours. You know, its ability to give you a mild stimulation and get rid of your pain at the same time. Like I said, it's a working man's drug. It allows you to work harder longer. And I'm assuming it doesn't give you a sort of a, a brain fog or, or a high like marijuana would like that. No, no, not not at all, really. I mean, maybe the first couple of times you take it, you might feel pretty good, but you know, once you start using it regularly, it's like drinking a cup of coffee. That's a shame. It's a shame it's going away. Uh, with you talking about it, like, I kind of want to try it. Now. Right. Well, you you got a couple <laughs> more weeks. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they only gave us a month, you know, which is also unusual. Usually, there's like a you know, if they're getting ready to schedule something, they'll give a you know a public comment period or something like that. But that didn't happen this time. They just they put out the statement that said in one month, you know, this is going to be schedule one, and nobody has a chance to say anything about it. Yeah, schedule one for two years, possibly three years. I think you said they can add on one more year, and then I don't know. I assume at some point in there, there'll be some buying of politicians enough in order to to pass some legislation in order to keep it banned. I would be surprised if there wasn't. I mean, it it just seems like behind the scenes, something's going on. So Right, right. If the past is any indication of how the future is going to go, since this is sort of new to the Western world, I'm sure pharmaceutical companies want to look at it and uh, figure out how it works and then create their own versions of it that they can patent and package and give to the people. If it really is a, a better alternative than the opiates that we have now, I'm sure they would love to make their own versions of it and get it out on the market. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe the pharmaceutical companies, you know, are seeing this as a replacement for opioids, maybe a solution to the opium crisis, but instead of allowing the free market to just solve the problem and provide it without going through a third party like a pharmaceutical company who gives it a stamp of approval and marks up the price, they want to take control of it, obviously. And there's a system in place with patents where they can. So, yeah, that's that's a really good thought. And it doesn't surprise me at all if that's exactly what they're doing. Right. So, Jack, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We are running out of time. Do you have any last words on Kratom or, or anything else you want to add? I think I've said pretty much everything that I want to say, but I really appreciate you having me on the show and, and allowing me to uh, talk about uh, my problems and, and Kratom and how it's helped me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not every day that, you know, I've heard a couple other podcasts, uh, people uh, talking about this issue. They didn't have anyone on who could actually, you know, who had used it, who had talked about how it helped them deal with their pain. And I thought it was just a, a great opportunity for you, who's an advocate for for this plant to come on and talk about it and talk about how it's helped you. So hopefully uh, this will you know, spread the word and um, get to other people out there who have uh, been helped by Kratom and maybe they can share it with their networks and you know build some momentum just to show what an egregious error this is, prohibiting Kratom from people who need it. So thanks for coming on, Jack. And, and one more time, can you tell us where we can find your Philly Grown mushroom business? Uh, it's phillygrown.farm or www.phillygrown.farm. All righty. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. I really want to thank Jacqueline once again for coming on Felony Friday to share his story about how Kratom has really allowed him to live his life to the fullest extent that he is able to, that he wants to, and allowed him to ease his pain so he can run his gourmet mushroom business, so he can contribute value to society. And a lot of people agree with Jack. Jack pointed me to a whitehouse.gov petition that has over 125,000 signatures of people that are urging the DEA to at least delay this ban long enough so people can get their stories out there. Just to expose, it really exposes, like we talked about, this ultimately probably is just a power grab by Big Pharma trying to profit off and stick their foot in the revenue stream here in order to make money off a substance that is helping people today without their intervention. There's absolutely no need for the DEA or Big Pharma to intervene here. And Jack did point out one more thing to me after the show that he wanted me to pass along to you. There was a march on D.C., a Kratom march on D.C. You can read about it, learn about it at kratommarchdc.com. It actually happened last week, but on the website, they have some helpful uh, helpful links, some advice, and they talk about the need to contact your representatives and senators. So please think about reaching out and doing that. If this drug has helped you, I think it would be really beneficial for senators and politicians and people in charge to at least hear from you. You know, it might not make a difference, but it might. You never know. You know, these people are human beings too. And if they hear from you, if they hear from enough people, it might cause them to act, hopefully. You know, I really don't have much more today. I just want to remind everyone to, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And if you do so on iTunes, please remember to rate the show and also to leave us a comment. Tell us what you like about it. And uh, it really helps us out a lot. You have no idea how much it helps us to move up in the iTunes rankings, which ultimately 
will help us to grow the show. And that's why we're doing this. We want to reach more people. We want more people to be able to hear about topics like today's show, where we talked about government intervention that is coming in and is actually standing in the way of Jacqueline, my guest today, medicating himself so he's able to live his life, so he's able to contribute value to society. It's going to make him harder to do that. It's going to leave the man in pain, and that needs to stop. So, you know, another way that you can help the Lions of Liberty podcast, you can help to grow the show is by sharing this episode. It's a great episode to share. It's blatant government overreach, so please share it. Easiest way to do that, make sure you're following the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter and just retweet or share away the posts that we send out. That's all I have for you today, guys. I really, really do appreciate you listening with me today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, this is John Odermatt signing off. Remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning. <laughs>